if you would like to uh, turn with me to a very familiar passage of scripture, uh, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So, uh, and I want to read that in just a moment. But we're continuing on this on this theme of uh, perfecting holiness. I don't know uh, about you. I, I have I, every once in a while I like to to listen to other preachers. I don't like to hear my own voice. So, so I'll, I'll listen to a variety of different uh, speakers. And lately I've been listening to young pastors and old pastors and middle-aged pastors and tall pastors and short pastors. And I've listened to pastors from the south and from the north. And I've listened to pastors from the U.S. and outside of the U.S., I've listened to pastors from different race and from different ethnicities and from different cultures. And there seems to be a theme. They say, how do you find all of that time? It's tough. But there seems to be a theme, and it's, it's really uh, incredible to me. As some of the older pastors, I was listening to one just yesterday, and and he was talking about, about the U.S. and our culture and how over the, the several decades that he has lived, he has seen a slip in holiness. Some of the younger pastors that, that don't have that experience and don't have to back up on, they, they uh, look at it and say, man, we can, we, can, we can have these things because they're in the Word of God, because they've never seen them in action. Some of those that are uh, a little more flamboyant in their, in their preaching become very personal and, they'll, and they reach out to the congregation. Others will use verbiage to try to communicate. But it's all the same message, that there's more to God than what we have. There is, seems to be a universal call that is going out, and it's not the call that the coronavirus is coming. Uh, I love what Pastor Burt said about that this morning. He said, if I get it, one of two things will happen. I'll get better or I won't. That's my kind of guy. Can't live in fear. But there, there, there seems to be a universal call within God's church. God's people, and I'm not talking about one denomination over another denomination. I'm just saying, among God's people, there seems to be a call that is going out. It's, it's, the, uh, it's a call to rise to a level of holiness, to be the temple of God, to be God's people. Come out from among them and be separate. Because I, I, I do believe this, and I'm not a prophet, I'm not the son of a prophet, but I do believe this, that even if we are pre-tribulation people and we adhere to that, if we're not going to go through the flames, we're going to feel the heat. And, and there's going to be a time and there is coming a time where being a Christian and saying that you are Christ-like and living a Christ-like life will cost you. We're already there in a lot of countries and the U.S. is is rapidly moving in that direction. And I'm not bemoaning the fact that 
that this is what is happening. I'm just saying that I believe there, there is a call that is going out from the throne of God that is calling to his people to rise and be counted, to put on the armor of God and be the children of God that he has called us to be, to, to rid ourselves of the things of this world and realize that this world is not our home, that our eyes are fixed and focused on the author and perfecter of our faith, that we are no longer going to be encumbered by the, the affairs of this life, but heaven is our home. And forgetting the things that are behind, we're going to press toward the mark. Man, there's something that happens in the heart of the believer when you stay focused on Christ. There's an old song they used to sing that said, I woke up this morning and no one knows it. It's not, remember, you know the next line? I woke up this morning with heaven on my mind. You know, and, and, and it's just, it's amazing. It's amazing that when we begin to to focus on this perfecting holiness. Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians 6, 16. He said, what agreement is there uh, between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. And as God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. I, I love where he says, I, that we are the temple of God. The temple of God. There is a, there's a, temple in uh, let's in Paris if you'd go on that next slide this is Sacre Coeur Sacred Heart it's it's on uh, on the mount of uh, Montmartre and it's it's a beautiful beautiful church uh, it's it was built and started in 1870 after the after the Franco-Prussian war and how they had lost that war and and they wanted to remind the French people that that they needed to return back to God. So in 1870, they started building this. In 1873, they, they started putting down the first stone. And by 1914, it was completely finished. And it was it's it's amazing. If you if you look on the inside of the of the temple or of the uh, of Sacre Coeur Sacred Heart, when you walk in on the dome is one of the largest mosaics in the world and it's mostly in in gold lame and it, it is just absolutely breathtaking and you can walk around the whole the whole thing and, and you'll you'll see statues you'll see variety of uh, different statues of different saints joan of arc and different things like that but i will tell you what you will not see in in sacred heart or soccer core you will not see a, a uh, statue of Buddha. You're not going to hear anything about the Quran. You're not going to see anything about Confucius. There's nothing uh, about uh, any other religion other than Catholicism, Christianity. That is it. Because the temple was designed and built to remind the people of France that they needed to return to the Lord. And, and this reminder helped them understand that, that there could be nothing else in that temple but things that belonged 
to God. And I believe that's what God is calling God to today, that in the midst of a, of a world of, of plenty, and in, a, in a world of, of, a lot of uh, a lot of things that can distract our mind, we can become so focused on, on this world that we'll for, forget that we're the temple of the Holy Spirit, and He is calling us to rid ourselves of anything that doesn't look like Christ, that doesn't belong in that temple, and to fill this temple with those things that, that others can see us and say, that is a temple of God. So that's what I want to talk to you about today. So if you would, we're going to read 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 8. It says this, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. You ever heard a clanging cymbal? I spent the night at my, uh, my cousin's when I was a kid. And my, he was, they were my first cousins. And, and so you know, I remember waking up early. And I was the only one that was awake. It was me, my brother, and my two cousins. And we were all sleeping in the same room. And their dad came in and he had a set of cymbals. And I was the only one that saw him. And I had just enough time to cover my ears. And when he hit those cymbals, I have never seen... You ever seen like the, the picture of the cat hanging on the ceiling? That, that's kind of like the way they were. It messed them up all day. They couldn't, they couldn't function all day. He had the grandest time. Here's what Paul is saying. He said that, that if, if we can speak or we can communicate with, with anybody and everybody, with men and angels and if we don't do it in love, that, that we're kind of like that, that pair of symbols that we just grate on people's nerves. He says, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a, a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. It's a pretty powerful passage of Scripture. I was thinking about that when we, when we were talking about those things in our lives that, that need to be part of us. I want to talk to you today about incorporating love in our life. Something that, that we need. Something that characterizes us. Galatians 5.22 talks about love and he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. What Paul is telling the church in Galatia is simply this, that, that when you're walking with Christ and you're living that life of, 
uh, and you're realizing that you're the temple of the Holy Spirit and you're discarding those things in your life that, that don't belong in the temple of God, that, that the Holy Spirit is going to take up residence. And when the Holy Spirit takes up residence, he's going to bring his own stuff that's going to remind everybody that that is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And uh, what these are, we call them the fruit of the Spirit or the manifestations of the Spirit. In reality, what they are is the, is the physical response to a life that has been surrendered to the Holy Spirit. When we are living and walking as a temple of the living God, these are the things that are going to manifest in our lives. And I want to talk to you a little bit, just for a couple of minutes, about love. I love that word. Love. We, we can use it a lot of times about, I love pizza, I love my wife, I love my car. Not in that order. We, we use that same term to describe a lot of things. And scripture, uh, the Greek seems to identify it in a little more uh, specific areas. But in John 3.16, Scripture says, For God so loved the world. God possessed love. God has love. God is love. And I want you to notice that, that God so loved the world that he cried over them. It's not what it says. God so loved the world that he just wrung his hands. He didn't do that either. There's something very important in this passage of Scripture that, that I think that will bear out. And anytime you look at love within the Scripture, you'll see this, that, that love is not necessarily a noun, but it's a verb, that it demands action. For God so loved that he gave. He was moved to action. True love, the love of the Holy Spirit in our life always is a response. It requires action. It's not a feeling, but it's a way of life. It's allowing the Holy Spirit to rule and reign in us. John 13, 34 says this. Jesus said, a new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, by this love, by how you display, how do you act towards one another in love. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples. If you love one another. What, jo what Jesus is trying to tell his disciples is you can act uh, one way toward one another and people will just think that you're just friends or you're just buddies or maybe even family or, or maybe you're just coincidences. But if you are brothers and sisters in Christ, if you are disciples and you truly love one another, people are going to notice a difference. As, as, a, as a church, I, I love the fact that, that we always try to change things and we're trying to implement new things that will help people understand the love of God. But the greatest thing that people can notice, the greatest item that people can identify about the love of God is when you and I, God's people, begin to treat one another and act 
in love toward one another. When we act in love toward one another, amazing things happen. Those that are outside look at us and say, I want part of that. Because there's something about each and every one of us that when God created us, he didn't create us in, in indifference or out of just curiosity. God was moved with love. He loved Adam and Eve. He loves humanity. He loves you. He loves me. He loves those that know him. He loves those that don't. God loves humanity. And there's something in us that when we were created, we were created to love our creator. And when, when a person sees that love in action, it evokes something within them that causes them to want more. I want to I look back at, at 1 Corinthians 13, and I told you I'm not going to preach very long, so you have to catch this quick. I'm, gonna, I'm getting to the point, I'm going to stab you with it, and then I'm going to give you a band-aid. So you ready? 1 Corinthians 13, if you, if you would look at that again, 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3. Describes motivation. Let's read those again. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels and have not love, I am only a resounding gong and a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith that I can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And if I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Paul, writing to this same church, this same wild, rambunctious church in, in Corinth that, that loved to display the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And you notice that, that Paul doesn't di identify the temple of God with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. He identifies the temple of God with the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Because in reality, I, I love all the gifts of the Spirit, and I want to see all the gifts of the Spirit manifest, but in reality, if I have to choose between a, a congregation that has the gifts of the Spirit versus one that has the fruit of the Spirit, I'm going to take the fruit of the Spirit every single time. Because the fruit of the Spirit is the manifestation, it's the identifying marker of a, of a body of believers that are passionately following and here's Paul talking to this same church that had, they had all, all the gifts of the spirits just, and he had to, he had to talk to them about, about how to use them decently and in an order. And then he gets there right between how, how to use the gifts and how to admit, use administration right there in the middle in, in chapter 13. He says, guys, I've got to show you a more excellent way. I've got to show you the way to use these because they have to be used in love. And he speaks on love. And he talks about, in the first three verses, their motivation. No matter what you do, no matter what your, what your lifestyle is like, no matter, no matter how much you're trying to, to please God, nothing matters to him if it's not done in love. He said, if you 
give your body to be burned. You can work at the church. You can work serving others 24 hours a day, seven days a week. But if your motivation is not based in love, it doesn't produce anything. Verses 1 through 3 describes motivation. We have to have love if we want to not only be pleasing to God, but be effective in this world. Verses 4 through 7 are descriptors. They're attributes of love, but they're not love. When it says love is kind, it's not saying all kindness is love. So I, I have seen some unkind people do some kind things. Have you? I've seen some really bad people do some good things. And it doesn't make them good. So love is not kindness. But love live out, lived out is kind. Not all acts of kindness are done in love, but all acts of love are done in kindness. So when Paul is talking about 1 Corinthians 4 through 7, he said, he said these are descriptors of, of what love is. That, that love is patient. It doesn't mean that love is patience. It just means that if you are working in love, that you will be patient and that, that love is kind and that love doesn't envy and love doesn't boast and love is not proud. And, and if you are walking and living with the fruit of the spirit of love in your life, this is what it's going to look like. And I have to say, when I look down there and I say, and love is not rude, and I think about how I thought about the guy that cut me off in front of me and then slammed on his brakes. I didn't really want to respond in love. So when you look at it from that perspective, that these are indications, indicators, these are descriptors of what love looks like in the life of every individual. And you, would, and you look at your own life. I look at mine. You can look at yours. And you can begin to compare and see areas that you're doing well and areas that you may need to work on. And you say, how? How does God do that? How, how does God develop love in our life? Does he just say, poof, you have love? You say, Lord, I, I want love in my life. And does he say, poof, here it is. And you just get this warm, fuzzy feeling. And you think, oh, I've got the love of God. I don't believe God acts that way. Here's what I, how God acts with me. And, and you, he can act a different way. You can, you can be wrong if you want. Um, but when, when God gives me if, I, if I'm praying, Lord, I just want to love, and I want to love people, and I want to love you, he doesn't just instantly put it in my life, but gives me opportunities in my life to choose. To choose to love. 
See, love is a, is a verb. It's a choice that we get to, to. If it's an action, then we always have a choice. And, and we, can, we can choose to, to act in love or we can choose not to act in love. We can choose to, to do things with no strings attached or we can attach as many strings as we want. That's strictly up to us. God gives us the opportunities to love. And we get this great and glorious opportunity to do it. And when we do, great things happen. Amazing things happen when we just surrender to what the Spirit is doing in our lives. Because love is a verb and love requires action. Remember, God gave. Christ forgave. Paul reconciled with John Mark. David repented. Zacchaeus refunded. Peter proclaimed and the prodigal returned. All of them had an opportunity to love and they chose well and loved well. Every, every act of love is a decision to do what God wants us to do. And we get that choice. And you say, Pastor, that's just too simple. I didn't write the Bible. In fact, we make it too difficult and too complicated. See, for all of us Western uh, thought processors that we think that everything is linear and we want three steps to holiness. We want three steps to having love in our lives. We want five steps to do this or ten steps to do that or twelve steps to do this. Scripture is not that way. In fact, you will find that when, when the Lord is working with you in your life that it's never linear. In fact, that line looks more like a plate of spaghetti because you'll, you'll go two steps forward and three steps to the side and five steps back. And, and he moves and shapes and, and directs our lives and keeps giving these opportunities in our lives to, to learn what he's wanting us to learn. And, and if he's wanting us to develop love in our life, he'll keep bringing opportunity after opportunity after opportunity in our life and keep directing us and, and guiding our steps so, so we get to that place that, that we learn to love and not only choose to love, but we learn choose to love well. We've talked about forgiveness, but do you, do you realize how freeing forgiveness is? That when we say, I, I forgive you because you are a, a person and, you, and I don't condone what you did, but I don't need you to heal and I want you to have a life of blessing. But forgiveness hinges upon loving well. Everything we do hinges upon loving well. Learning to, to learn not only to love God, but to love one another. And God gives us the people to learn to love well. And you say, well, I would love church, but that one person over there just drives me nuts. 
Do you know why they're in the church? To drive you nuts. So you can learn to love well. Well, I would, I, I would love the church a whole lot better if it wasn't for the hypocrites. Hey, if it wasn't for the hypocrites, man, this place would be empty. Because we all pretend that we're something that we're not at times, don't we? See, church, church is not about perfection. It's not about perfect people. It's about God putting a group of people together that we can not only learn to love, but that we can learn to love well. That we can give people the benefit of the doubt. That, you know, and if we're constantly looking for the latest and the greatest, if we're constantly looking for the perfect church, good luck, I have never seen it. It doesn't exist because it has people and people are imperfect. But when you are with a body of believers and you say, I'm going to plant where I am, I'm going to grow where I am planted, and I am going to learn to love, and I'm not only going to learn to love God, I'm not only going to learn to love myself, I'm going to learn to love other people. I'm going to learn to love those that I, that I like to hang out with, and I'm going to learn to love those that I have nothing in common with. I am going to learn to love, and I am going to choose to love well. Man, when we do that, great things happen amazing things will begin to happen we'll be like we'll be like a Christ that forgave and when you know and we say well I'd like to see more of the presence of God I'd like to see more of the the the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit do you realize that almost every single time that that Christ healed somebody or or restored sight or whatever he did the scripture says he was moved with compassion that it simply means he loved and loved well, and it caused him to act. Man, love is the, is the linchpin. It is what holds everything together. I'm going to ask our praise team to come back. I gave you the point. I stabbed you with it. Would you stand with me? I'm going to give you a band-aid right now. How do you love? You choose. Love is a choice. Choose well. You say, well, how can I choose today? How can I choose to love well today? You can make that phone call that you've been putting off. You can humble yourself and say, uh, please forgive me. You can talk and have that conversation with that person and say, I don't condone what you're doing, but I love you regardless. Because love is not just acceptance of the wrong, but it's correction when somebody is not walking in truth. Love has many faces. 
but it always requires action. There's always an area in our life, every single day, that we get to choose to love and to love well. So I would ask you, whatever God is working on in your life, choose well, choose love, and allow the love of God over it.